Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. soak in your amazing grace and we pray now that we would just believe the words that we've heard that we will hear and the truth of who we are in you and your amazing grace it's in Jesus name that we pray amen we invite you to remain standing for the reading of God's word as we honor God's word and remind ourselves of the truth that he has spoken to us Our scripture today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Let's give our attention to the reading of this word. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So, Lord, in your mercy and in your goodness, Lord, we take a breath and we receive your Holy Spirit. Lord, may the Holy Spirit rest on us today and may we know the truth of you. And may it speak louder than any truth or any lie we hear from the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Darkness surrounds us sometimes, doesn't it? We find ourselves here in the midst of darkness. We don't always know where it comes from or why it's there, but sometimes it can creep up and get us. One of the ways that darkness gets us is through this thing called shame. Maybe you've experienced it yourself, that something has happened and and you walk around carrying this shame. I love the way that Brene Brown, who's an, an expert on vulnerability and shame, describes it. She says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. She goes on to say, something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And so it is that that people walk around feeling unworthy. She talks about the difference between guilt and shame. She said, guilt says, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame says, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. I am unworthy of love, of goodness, of God. Now, I think that shame can can come in different forms, and it looks different for each of us depending on our stories. I think about there are some different major types of shame. Uh, One type would be what I would refer to as relational shame. 
And this says, I am a mistake because of my association with others. Maybe you grew up and your mother was an alcoholic and, and that, that shame stayed with you for so long. Maybe your, your child is arrested and, and in jail and, and you just pray that nobody asks how your kids are. Sometimes it can even affect a community. If, if somebody was to do something terrible and they were from Mustang, the community might feel this great shame that would wash over us. So sometimes our shame is because of who we're associated with. Also, sometimes our, our shame is experienced shame. And experienced shame says this, I am a mistake because of what happened to me. Maybe you were, you were raped and, and you didn't do anything to, to cause it, but, but that experience happened to you and you've never talked about it and you felt unworthy because of it. Maybe you were abandoned and that, that, that feeling of abandonment lives with you. Maybe you were abused and people treated you and eventually you began to feel that you are what your abuser treated you as and you felt so weak and you carried that shame around. But also there is behavioral shame. Behavioral shame says, I am a mistake because of what I have done. And we believe that we are people all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so sometimes the, the choices we make and the sins that we make, we, we do these things and, and when we do them, we carry around the shame. Maybe there's some people in this room and, and you've been arrested in your past and, and whenever somebody says, can you fill out a background check, you get anxious. Maybe sometimes when the preacher says different things, you begin to feel that, that, that guilt that comes in and then that guilt turns to shame. Maybe you have an addiction. Maybe you had an abortion and that heaviness lays with you. We feel shame because of what we have done. And what happens is, is that we wear our shame. Now, we don't wear it in an obvious way, but, but we have, um, we carry it around and it weighs us down. And so sometimes what happens is that we do something and we just put it in our backpack. And then we, we begin to be people who, as we live our lives, we carry our shame with us in these invisible backpacks. Now, I don't know, you all didn't know this, but I had this great ability to see when you walked in and you all were all wearing these invisible backpacks because the heaviness of life has weighed you down. I don't know your story, but I know that you have one and most of us are wearing them and it just begins to overwhelm us. And so we wear shame around like a backpack. Now, I, I wanna be clear that I'm not just talking about you out there, but I'm talking about me up here. I know about wearing shame around like a backpack because I've worn it around for a long time in my life. And so with your permission, I'd like to share a little bit of my story today. And I'd like to tell you about what it was like to wear this backpack, but more so and when we get to it, I want to tell you what it was like to get rid of this backpack. So growing up, I was always the good kid. I was fortunate to, to have great parents. They're, they're here today. My, my mom and dad were tremendous people, and they did a great job raising me and my sister. My dad was a pastor, and so I was raised in the church. And, and uh, the church was really a great place. I felt loved. I felt affirmation. It was a place in which I, I felt goodness. There was so much good that, that happened in my childhood. And, and one of the things that, that I became known for was for being a good kid. 
Um, I was the kid that when um, you went to, I think when my parents went to parent-teacher conferences, they only said good things about me. I I, I was uh, respected by others. In fact, when I was in high school, my senior superlative, my senior year was best role model. If there was something that people would say about me, it was that, that I was a good kid. But yet somehow I began, this lie began to creep into my life. I'm not sure where it came from. It was never told to me. But sometimes as a kid, these, these things, and even as an adult, we believe these lies that exist. And so this was the lie that somehow got fed into my soul unintentionally, but I think it was from the evil one. And it says this. It says, I am loved because I am good. That I am loved, I believe, that I was loved because I was good. Now what that did to me, and again, this wasn't true, but what it, what it did to me was it said that as long as you are good, you're worthy of being loved. And so this was the life that I lived. And, and for a lot of people, they would say, well, Aaron, you lived up to that. But there was a, a secret life that I lived for so many years. And I knew that I wasn't who other people thought I was. Because I think a lot of people, we all wonder this, that if people really knew me, they couldn't love me. If people really knew me, they could not love me. And so like a lot of young people, I was exposed to pornography as an adolescent. And so it was in middle school when I began to view it, and then I continued to view it. It became a habit and then eventually an addiction in my life. And so this sinful behavior became something that I was able to do in secret. And it was really in some ways, the, as awful as this sounds, the perfect sin, because I could still be this good kid, but I had this sin and this guilt and this shame which was growing in secret and as I was doing this I somehow weirdly and it's weird how sometimes our mind does things I became proud of the fact that I had everybody fooled well almost everybody there were days I when I looked in the mirror and really saw myself I didn't know I knew that I was a fraud and I knew that God knew and somehow during all of this I still believed that God loved me but I didn't think God liked me or was proud of me at all. Now, I think that this is important to talk about in the church, and this is why we, we sent the, the kids away, was we, we wanted to be able to have this kind of conversation about, about stuff that matters and that people are dealing with. And so for me, I think it's important as your pastor to talk about things. And so as I, as I talk about pornography, what I want to say is that um, the world sees it very differently. I, I came across a stat that said 90% of teenagers and young adults are either neutral, um, accepting, or encouraging as it relates to the use of pornography. And I want to be clear that that is not what God wants for us. It is not good, it is not healthy, and it is plain and simply sinful. But it is prevalent in our culture. 79% of 18 to 30-year-old men have viewed it in the last month. 76% of women 18 to 30 have viewed it in the last month. And it's, it's not an unchurched thing or a church thing. In fact, 64, 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch pornography at least once a month. It is so prevalent in our culture. What does God say about it? Jesus is pretty clear in the Sermon on the Mount in his description of lust. He says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, in your eyes, you have committed adultery in your heart. It is not good for you. 
It's bad for your brain, it's bad for your body, it's bad for your relationships. It creates unrealistic expectations, feelings of betrayal and rejection, and deeply damages trust. And then finally, it supports an industry that dehumanizes and enslaves people. And so for years, I had this secret. And I mean that for, for years. I always thought that, that, that I could take care of this, that I would be able to get rid of this backpack. And so I, I thought, okay, well, maybe once I, I go to college, it'll be better. And, and once I, 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 you know, meet somebody, and so I met Heather, and I thought, oh, this will, it'll all go away. And, and, I, and I kept going through life. I got married. I went to seminary. I became a pastor. I thought, surely once I became a pastor, like, pastors don't have problems. Like, it'll just disappear. But it didn't go away. And this, this shame and this guilt continued to build. Because once I was a pastor, then all of a sudden the pressure mounted even more. What's going to happen if people find out? What's going to happen if people know? What do I do about it? And so over the years, while I carried the shame, every once in a while, I would get caught and my wife would find out. I would apologize. I would repent. And I would say I would take care of it. And, and for a little bit, I would, but I would still trying to make it better all by myself. My wife, Heather, has, has shown so much grace uh, in, in our relationship and in our marriage, and I'm so thankful for her willingness to walk through this journey that at times has been more down than up. So when you walked in, you didn't look like this, but you may have felt like this. You carried this burden of shame. And so maybe this is you today. You have your shame. Maybe for some of you, when, when I said the word pornography, you sat there and your heart just jumped. And you began to sweat and you're glad that the lights are dark so nobody is noticing right now. I know that because I've been there, all right? But maybe for you, your shame is something different. Maybe it is you were abused or you were raped and you never said a word about it to anybody and you've been carrying that unfair burden all by yourself and you're afraid of what would happen if you would talk about it and just the way it would go down. Maybe you walked in today and, and, and what you're shameful about is your debt. If people really knew how much debt you have, that you were almost at bankruptcy and yet you drive a nice car and you live in a nice home and if people really knew that you're so close and just barely hanging on, you would feel crushed. Maybe it was a previous relationship. Maybe sometimes people, when they're divorced, they feel so much guilt and shame um, from that. Or you did things in a previous relationship you weren't proud of and you still feel guilt and shame. Maybe it's the abuse of anger you have. That there may be some of us in this room that if our, if our animals could talk, the things that they would say about us. So we carry that shame around and we wonder, what are we going to do? Do we have to wear our backpacks every day? And we just add and add to it. And we think, if people really knew me, they could not love me. And then we think, God knows us. Can he love us? The good news is, God sees all, knows all and loves all. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says it this way. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
I love the way it says it in the message translation. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. So I carried this backpack of shame. And so it was three years ago, on October 14th, 2016, I was writing a paper for my doctor of ministry. And while I was writing this paper, I felt unbelievably prompted by the Spirit. And the Spirit had probably and certainly prompted me a hundred times to do something. And I hadn't done it before. To reach out and to really ask for help. Because I began to wonder, like, who, who can I give my backpack to? Who can I give my shame to? Who can I talk to? I'm a pastor. I'm leading people. I tell them about the freedom that Christ can give them but I didn't have that freedom for myself. The shame and the guilt was too much. Who do I go to? Thankfully, God had placed somebody in my world, and they were just one store up at the church that I was working at. And so Gary, and and Gary's here today, was the director of the recovery ministry there at First Methodist Church. And Gary had shared in previous meetings about the need to be vulnerable and about sharing your story and how that sharing brings healing. He he reminded us of a verse in James that says, Confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. Forgiveness comes from God, but healing comes through community. And I knew, because Gary had shared his story, that that he had done some things that, that, that most people wouldn't talk about. And then I knew that he had been around people as well. He had heard lots of stories and I thought, maybe he can handle mine. And so that day, as I was sitting at our house on Braden Avenue, writing my paper, I closed out of my paper, pulled up my email, and I wrote Gary this email. And this is some of what I said to him. I said, so God continues to work on my heart about the need to be vulnerable as I ask others to do the same. And so I need to tell you something, and I need your help with something. I began to tell him about my addiction and my sin. So I say, here is where I am. I want to be healed from this. But I believe that for my trust relationship with God, it will continue to be a daily struggle for me instead of God taking away this desire for me. I think God wants me to trust in him daily. So on that Friday, I sent him that email and he sent me an email just a short time later said this. He said, Aaron, today you are my hero. Thank you so much for trusting me and for sharing this with me. Let's try to talk a few minutes Monday. You just started your healing. See you Sunday. Now I can tell you I did not feel like a hero. The shame, the darkness was so much. But that day I had done something I had never done before in all my years and years of struggling instead of me believing that I could fix it and make it right. I surrendered my guilt, my shame, my sin, my sorrow, and my suffering to the one who could handle it. And I gave it all to Jesus. I surrendered to him. And it's made all the difference.
I met with Gary that next Monday, and again, I had tried to stop many times. I gave it up for Lent every year, but something was different this time around. Because I learned that really not only was my sin the sin of pornography, but it was the sin of pride. That I was convinced that I could do it. That I could save myself. That I could heal myself. That if I just tried hard enough, if I just worked hard enough, that I could do it. It was all about me. But what I learned, all I needed was to surrender. I didn't have to carry the weight I was not designed to. Jesus was. He He takes our sins and our sorrows and he made them his very own. And so the moment I gave it away, three years ago, I have been without incident since then. I never expected that. Thank you. I never expected that. I thought I might go a week or a month or something, but, but really what this is, is this is a miracle of God in my life. I think we all need something where we can look at and say, but for the grace of God, this wouldn't have happened. And I know that for a very fact that if it wasn't for God's grace, I would not be able to do it. And I am so thankful to him. I am actively in recovery, which means that I live life one day at a time, one moment at a time, and that I trust in him. I live in constant need of his grace and also in constant need and constant expression of gratitude for what God did to help me get through each and every day. And I I find myself really experiencing what what Paul had talked about in this text that we read. He talked about a a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know what that was, and and to me it's better that we don't know because I think we all have that something, that that thorn, that something that, that causes us pain and harm but also forces us to trust in Jesus. And so what he says is he he said that Jesus spoke to him and said these words, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I don't know where or why you need that, but I know you do. And it is when we come to Jesus weak that his grace and strength and his power rests upon us. So here's what I believe now. Earlier, remember, I said I am loved because I am good. But now I believe a much better and something that is actually true. I am loved and God makes me good. I believe in the unconditional love of Jesus Christ and I believe in the unconditional love of community that has surrounded me. Sometimes sermon illustrations come in the weirdest and strangest places. And so I saw a picture of a book from, of a, of a page from Dogman, the book that's for kids. If you don't know Dogman, you don't have a fourth grader, all right? But if you do, you may have seen this. It's actually a, a quote from John Steinbeck. And these are some of the most freeing words you may ever hear in your life. And now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. If it's okay with you, can, can we agree that we don't have to be perfect here today? 
If it's okay with you, can we agree that, that we all have things that, that, that have separated us from God and, and pretending we don't is the sin? It's when we bring these things together and we bring them under the power of the cross that we can be healed. I stand here, as, as I heard one, one person say, I am the wretch that song refers to. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And I'm freed from this burden of having to be your perfect pastor so that we can be good and holy as we work with fear and trembling to follow Jesus together. Because really, we need one another. You see, God is the only one who can handle our sin, who can handle our shame. He frees us from that. But one of the ways in which he heals us is through one another. Remember that scripture, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. And so part of what I do is I'm active in my recovery. I still call Gary and, and we still talk. He serves as my sponsor. Every week I meet with two of my friends, Bill and Chris, and we confess our sins together. I'm doing everything that I can to, to walk with integrity and accountability and so, in fact, whenever I was uh, appointed to be the pastor here, um, the, your SPRC, your committee that handles these sort of things, they knew about that, and I was so impressed with the way they welcomed us in the midst of that. I told the staff a, a couple weeks ago, and they've been so supportive. My family has certainly been supportive. The bishop and cabinet are walking with me on this journey. My friends, don't ever try it alone. Because really... We have set up an environment sometimes in church that makes shame thrive. Brene Brown, who I quoted earlier, she said this, if we're going to find our way back to each other, we have to understand and know empathy. Empathy is the antidote to shame. If you, should, if you put shame in a Petri dish, it will need three things to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Secrecy, Silence and judgment. If you put the same amount in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. The two most powerful words when we're in struggle, me too. I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. I don't know your backpack. I don't know what you've put in there. But I imagine you're carrying it around. And so today, I want to invite you to do something crazy. Get rid of it. We weren't supposed to carry it, but yet we've carried it. I don't know your shame, but I imagine it's part of you. Can you give it to Jesus today? Can you make a decision that today is the day? Nearly three years ago, and after the service, Gary is going to give me my three-year chip, and I'm really excited about that. He's going to trust that I make it through today. All right, okay. <laughs> But three years ago, I had to make a decision that I couldn't do it. I admitted that I was powerless over my addictive behavior. And I surrendered myself fully to Jesus. And so today, you can make that decision too. Now, it's a journey from there, my friends. We make the decision today, we surrender, and then we walk with community. And so I want to make the invitation to you 
that some of you, you're going to make a decision today. You're going to, um, in, the bullet, in the back of the pews, there's a little piece of white paper. We invite you to take that, and I'm going to invite you to write your shame. Whatever it is, that backpack that you are carrying in today, I'm going to invite you to write that down. And, and, and then as we sing our, our closing song, we're going to invite you to come and, and lay it in the cross. You can set it in my backpack, but lay it at the feet of Jesus because he can handle it, and you weren't designed to. And then you're going to walk with the community. You can't do it by yourself. That's why you got to where you got. But we can walk this road together. Out of darkness and out of shame and into his marvelous light. And so if you need somebody to talk to, you have people around you, but I would love to help you out. You can email me at Aaron at MustangUMC.org. It's in the bulletin, and I trust you to be able to find me if you want somebody to walk with you. My friends, life is so much better when you leave it to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.